0: Okay, so our uh, first reading is from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 to 15. This is uh, part of the famous uh, Ten Commandments. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox nor your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your town so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Then we're going to flip over to uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 3 to verse 20. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the, Christ, that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Campbell.
1: Hello, friends. Uh, it's uh, good to be uh, here and good to be with you uh, via the uh, magic of the internet. So let's talk about the pandemic. No, not that pandemic, the other pandemic. The pandemic of time poverty. Where did all the time go? Uh, When I started preparing for this sermon, I looked up some quotes and aphorisms about time and the theme of scarcity came up uh, really quite quickly. So time moves slowly, but passes quickly. You may delay, but time will not. Time is the most valuable thing a man can spend. The future came and went in that mildly discouraging way that futures do. The the clock is ticking. The hours are going by. The past increases. The future recedes. Possibilities decreasing. Regrets mounting. Do you feel a bit anxious? And accompanying this shortage of time are the pandemics of busyness and exhaustion as we try to fit into our short days and weeks all that we want to do, all that we need to do. So in in our series on stewardship, we've learned that a steward is somebody who manages another person's property. And God has made us stewards of his creation. The world is his but he has given us to us humans to administer on his behalf. We've looked how to um, manage on God's behalf our skills and abilities and our resources, our time, Uh, and now we're going to look at how to manage God's time that he gives us. We're going to consider that all time is God's, how to free up time for God and the importance of resting in God. So all time with God, free time for God, and rest time in God. Now, We just heard uh, Paul's wonderful prayer at the start of Colossians read. And uh, I thought it would be great to hear all of it, because running under the surface is the theme of stewardship. It's a bit hard to pick up because Paul doesn't really get to the point until the end, and we're just going to look at the end of the prayer. But once you've got to that point, I hope perhaps you can go back and read through uh, the rest of the prayer in your own time and see how stewardship uh, runs through it. So towards the end of this prayer, Paul centres the gospel on who Christ is. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and on what God is doing in Christ. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." This is the the gospel of reconciliation, as Paul calls it in one of his other letters. And the good news is that God is reconciling to him uh, not just us rebellious people, but all things, all things on earth and in heaven. Everything in creation is being brought under the rule of Christ. Now this means that on the cross, Jesus was enthroned king and he purchased for the Father all of our lives, each moment of our days. All time belongs to Jesus as does all of our time. What would our lives look like if uh, we lived this out, if we put all of our time under Christ's rule? Now let's look at How this might look, uh, how this might play out on three levels. The first level is reconciling our daily life to God. Throughout his letter, and particularly towards the end of his letter, Paul frequently urges us to live each day shot through with prayer. Uh, So from the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, In our tradition, we're encouraged to dedicate a portion of each day, typically at the start of the day, uh, to pray pray and to read our Bible. This is a good thing to do, and I try to do it... uh, each day, but it can often lead to guilt, as we so often just struggle to fit God into our busy, busy days. Yet Paul's perspective, what Paul is calling us to, is to dedicate all our time to God, not just carve a chunk out of out of our day for Him. Of course, God is with us by His Spirit all the time, and if all things are to be reconciled to him. He is interested and involved in all we do. Or, or more accurately, he is at work in the world, in all things, and invites us to join him. So however we feel our days, whatever we do, we can bring God into this and bring it to God. As a 17, there was a 17th century monk called Brother Lawrence he practiced uh, such a life like this, such a life of prayer. Uh, his, he had a couple of jobs. He uh, worked repairing sandals at one point, and he also worked in the kitchen. And he cultivated such an awareness of God's presence that for him, the, the, he, he said, "The time of busyness, that time of business, does not differ from a time of prayer." The noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God as in great tranquility, as if I were on my knees. All of the time, in everything he did, Brother Lawrence was aware that God was with him. I think, though, he went a bit far when he rejects specific times to pray. I mean, since Jesus needed to spend time alone with the Father regularly, I think we do, too. But this practice of the presence of God as an example of reconciling the occupations of our daily lives to God. This is not about focusing on God all the time. I mean, that would be impossible. But it's about bringing all we focus on to God. Thanking him as we receive good things from him. Asking him for help as we encounter difficulties. And delighting with him in this world that he has made. But something happens when we start to bring all our time to God. When we try to live intentionally in his presence all the time we find that there are some things in our lives that doesn't that just don't mix with god jesus said if you love me keep my commandments and whether it's a temptation to actively disobey him and do something that we know we shouldn't do or whether it's just to give our time to something that isn't really worthwhile doing We come to a choice of sharing this moment, this life with God or seeking fulfillment apart from him. The question we face at points like these, in moments like these, is do I want God now or would I prefer something else now? We face this too in the larger questions of life. So the second level of giving all our time to Christ is reconciling our life's work to God. But, and by life's work, I don't just mean our employment, but all that occupies our lives, our friendships, our family life, our hobbies. To be, to be frank, I mean, everything we do is either working for God's kingdom or working against it. All we do is either partnering with Jesus in the work of renewing and healing creation or it's continuing to the decay and disorder of the world. We are called to do kingdom work and this is more than just spreading the gospel or earning money to give to good ministries, good though they are to do. In God's kingdom, there's no divide between secular or spiritual. If all things are being reconciled to Christ, everything we do is kingdom work. So this, this changes our, our approach to work, or to all we do. It means that we approach our our paid work, our employment, not primarily as a way of supporting ourselves, but as a way of partnering with God to contribute to the good of the world and the good of others. We approach relationships, family and friendships, not primarily as ways of receiving love and belonging, but of showing God's love to others and building kingdom communities. That means we approach our hobbies and recreation, not primarily ways of amusing ourselves, but ways of enjoying creation with its maker. So lives like this are integrated lives. It's not uh, com- different spheres of life competing for our time and attention, but one that is focused on doing kingdom work in every aspect of life. And just as we face a choice when we let God into our daily life, we face a choice when we let God into every area of our life. To work for God's kingdom in each area of life or to keep back parts of our life's work for our own glory and enjoyment. So what stops us from, from giving and enjoying all time with God. Well, I started with the most obvious one, didn't I? Our shortage of time. How can we free time for God? Well, I think um, first I need to uh, break something to you. We are not as free as we think we are. Much of our time is not our own, since we have many obligations on our time. If you're employed, you will have a contract that effectively says that your employer owns a certain amount of hours in your week. If you have bills to pay, or you've taken out debt, you'll need to find the income to pay these off. In effect, then your creditors own the time required to pay to pay these bills. Of course, we have many other obligations um, in including to provide for and and care for our families. So a lot of our time is not our time. And what does the Bible say to people whose time is owned by others? Well, later in Colossians, Paul addresses Christians in this situation. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, And do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. When we have no choice... As to how to spend our time when we're at work, we will work for our bosses as if they were Christ. Likewise, if we have no choice uh, in, in how, if we have no choice uh, to work or not to work, for example, if like me you're unwell or disabled, we also, though. Uh, can work, uh, use our time uh, as if we were serving the Lord. This is a, not just a call to work hard, whatever our employment or capacity. It's actually a message of freedom. Let's, we need not feel guilty for that struggle to find time for God when so much of our time is not our own. And of course, we can and we should still bring our work to God and let God into our work, even when that work is dictated to us by others. That said, elsewhere when Paul affirms our freedom to serve God, even when our productivity is owned by others, he goes on to encourage us to seize the opportunity of regaining control over our lives. Uh, so he writes uh, in the letter to the Corinthians: "Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let that trouble trouble you. although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when, he, when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price do not become slaves of human beings. And I'm not saying that we should all quit our jobs so that we have full control of our time, but that we need to think carefully about how much time we want to surrender to our employers. Since we belong to Jesus, ultimately that time we're giving them is Jesus' time. So we must not rob Jesus by thoughtlessly giving it away. When we're free to choose our employment, we ought uh, not only to choose work that contributes to the common good, but to opt for employers who will allow us to reserve enough of our time to be able to serve Christ in our family life and the life of the church. Likewise, We can free time for God by reducing the obligations on our time caused by our consumption. One reason we are so busy is because we spend so much money. And the more we spend, the more we have to earn so we can spend that money, which means the more time we're giving over to our employers. So when you're shopping online next, Consider that what you're spending is not just your money, but your time. Our lifestyles of overconsumption is not just bad for the planet, it's not just making us unhappy, but it's robbing us of the time to connect with our friends, to serve our family in Christ, and to extend Christ's love to our neighbours. As you may know, we're uh, at the moment... Uh, setting the vision for InOS for the next few years. And one thing that's come across really strongly in the feedback that we've received is the desire that InOS be active in our local community and for us to be known for our service. This is great. I, I think we should do that. Do this. We should be known for this. But to be blunt, this is not going to be possible unless we spend less of our time by a Uh, unless we spend less of our time by spending less of our money. This is uncomfortable territory. But we need to recognise that if we want to be free to love others, we need to rein in some of our spending on non-essentials and to reconsider what is essential. Uh, Things that were luxuries when I was a kid, dining out or ordering in, a new computer or phone every few years, international holidays, house renovations, they're now considered essentials or at least normal expenses. There are many ways of practically reducing our consumption and I don't want to repeat uh, Pete's sermon last Sunday. But yeah, there are many ways we can think of reducing our consumption and joining with others so that we can share what we do have. I also would say that uh, we need to perhaps rethink our approach to property, which has changed from being primarily about shelter, at least in the Australian society, to be about increasing our wealth. And combined uh, with expectation of double-income households, everybody's housing costs are going up, whether they rent or buy. In addition, the size of houses has increased, which means heating, cooling, cleaning, maintaining has all got more expensive. So our choices in housing can result us in not loving our neighbours by firstly, um, locking them out of the housing market, and then secondly, making us work so hard that we don't have time for them. Now, again, I'm not saying that we should all sell our houses, we should all downsize, but maybe some of us should. But what I want to say is that we need to be thoughtful about the costs, not just for us, but for others, when we make these kind of choices. Christ has set us free, and God calls us out of the slavery of overwork and the overconsumption that drives it. But it is up to us to leave. Leaving behind this slavery is hard. It it may involve sacrifice. And just as the journey from slavery in Egypt to the freedom of the promised land Required the hardship of crossing the wilderness. The journey from our slavery to our culture's lifestyle and into the abundance of the kingdom requires, uh, yeah, may require intentionally lowering our standard of living, at least in terms of the amount of stuff we consume as individuals or individual families. But the call here is not just to leave slavery, to leave one way of life, but to enter into a new way of life, to enter into God's rest. Have you ever noticed the connection uh, between slavery and rest that's built into the commandment God gave the Israelites to observe the Sabbath? Keeping the Sabbath is one way of exercising their new freedom and extending this freedom to those who are enslaved. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor to do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outreached arm. So how good are you at resting? As you probably know, I have extremely limited energy, so much of my time is spent resting. I'm not sure this makes me an expert, it just makes me familiar with the idea. And I, I find there are a couple of obstacles to getting good rest. Our first obstacle is guilt. The guilt that comes from not being productive. This derives partly from our cultures of of overwork that insists that we'll always be working, that we're always productive, uh, that we always have to prove our worth by what we do. And it's partly derived from the fear that we might let others down by spending some time for ourselves, or that we'll not have sufficient means to make ends meet. We need to be reminded of the truth that while God made us workers, first and foremost, God made us worshippers who depend on him and enjoy with him his creation. God made us to rest. We need to hear the truth that God does not Value us according to what we produce, but according to the cost, but according to what it cost Him to make us His children. When Jesus died on the cross, we need to remember that we have a Father in heaven who will provide for us when we turn and depend upon Him. So we can be free to rest. Now this week, while preparing the sermon. I had a day where I was literally too tired to think. So I asked some friends to pray and then I went and spent the day lying on the couch, trusting that God would provide the capacity for me to write this sermon another day. And the next day I I was much refreshed and was able to get a good chunk of, of the sermon done. A second obstacle to Sabbath rest is confusing overindulgence with rest. Now, God, yes, he gives us many great things to enjoy, food, drink, entertainment of many varieties, but so often we reward our overwork with overconsumption. When I'm really tired, I I, I often end up blobbing in front of the TV or on the computer. Now, a little bit of this is okay. There are times when we all need to switch off our brain. But it's it's so easy just to end up watching too many uh, episodes, particularly now on Netflix where the next one starts auto- automatically, or to be mindlessly scrolling on the internet. And then I stay up too late for bed. I end up tired and and don't really rest. At the worst, this sort of poor non-resting becomes a vicious cycle of over-indulgence, which instead of refreshing us, requires more time for us to recover, which impacts on our productivity at work, which leads to overwork, which leads to more indulgence, and the cycle continues. So what what does good rest, what does Sabbath rest look like? First, uh, as we've seen, it's being freed to stop working. The Sabbath, it literally means to stop or to rest from work. And I think uh, while it's not a commandment to us, I think it's wise that we follow the pattern of stopping from work one day in seven. And this means stopping from all work, paid and unpaid, from housework and what other commitments we might have. To do this, though, we we probably need to restructure the other six days so we can manage to fit into them all of our work without exhausting ourselves through the week. If you find this difficult, if this is not possible for you, I think this is a sign that there's something wrong. Either you're trying to just do too much for whatever reason, or perhaps you don't have the support that you need around you. Second, rest is worship. Just uh, as to work is to exercise the image of a God who works, to rest is to exercise the image of a God who rests. Even more so, since the command to observe the Sabbath is to keep it holy, that is, to dedicate it to God. Rest is a foretaste of the new creation, whether it be singing praises, contemplative prayer, enjoying God's creation with him, exercising our our image of God in our hobbies and sports or expressing uh, his relational love in our friendships. This Sabbath rest is is founded on and expresses uh, our security in Christ, our freedom in Christ. Finally, rest is communal. Now, yes... uh, We all need some time alone. Some of us need more of that than others. But Sabbath is about God with his people, not God with his persons. Sabbath uh, Sabbath was always a celebration and and still is in Jewish uh, culture, a celebration with family. And the great festivals, the great Sabbaths, uh, celebrations for the whole community. At the start of the sermon, I said, we'd look... Uh, for how the gospel of reconciliation plays out on three levels. You may have noticed I only have talked about two. Our daily life and our life's work. Let's get back to the third one. Submitting our life together to Christ. And I'll finish uh, by reflecting on how our churches are called to be communities of rest. There's been a marked decline in community involvement and increasing social isolation in English speaking countries over the past hundred years. Our participation in uh, community groups and activities has declined. If you go walk around the suburbs, the streets are quiet. There's nobody, no kid, there's few kids playing outside. We've all retreated to our houses. Even before the Pandemic, it was kind of getting countercultural just to drop around to someone's house. We we organise things. We phone ahead. We go out for coffee instead of coming in uh, to hang out at home. Of course, our online connection is replacing some of that interaction, but I think as lockdown has taught us, it's not a great replacement. Uh, The conservative commentator David Brooks recently argued that the nuclear family was a mistake. That's the title of uh, one of his articles in The Atlantic. Uh, It's it's a good read. Uh, He observed that nuclear families have really become isolated islands, disconnected from the wider networks of extended family, neighbours and societies. And this robs us of the support we need to live flourishing lives. before I said, if you're struggling to observe one day of rest a week, this may be because you don't have the support you need. We live such we live increasing isolated lives. And there's just not enough time for a couple, both in full-time work, to work well, to bring up a family, to serve the community, and have time for themselves. It's just it's not possible, at least not alone. We need help to be able to manage all these areas of life. We will always struggle to find free time for God and for others as individuals. To have the margins in our lives for God and for others, we need community around us. We need communities of rest. That is communities of mutual support and interdependence that enable us to work and to rest. I mean, the only way I completed this sermon was going to stay with my parents. The way I got to church was John brought me. As someone with extremely limited capacity, I kind of feel like I'm the edge of this problem the edge of, of living such individual lives that we just can't get enough done. So our MCs are, are seedbeds of this sort of community, this, these communities of rest, these communities of mutual support and interdependence. And of course, our practical support and love for one another uh, across the church needn't be confined to our MCs. So as we come out of lockdown, let's think creatively about how we can be involved in one another's lives, practically caring for one another so that we increase overall the capacity of the whole church to love one another and to love God and to love our neighbours. To do this we'll need to be vulnerable with each other we'll need to be open about our needs we'll need to be ready to ask for help to offer help and to receive help i don't I, yeah I don't think it's probably worth the time now to going into lots of detail about how we can do this because Each of us have different needs. Each of the MCs have different needs and capabilities. So I think it's really great if you discuss that in your MCs and your smaller discipleship groups. But as we we seek to do this, I want to leave you uh, with this. We need to remember we are at the start of this journey. That we have all eternity to love and serve and enjoy God and one another. So, yeah, let's work out how we can do this well. Let's get into the practice of doing this. But we have all eternity to love and serve and enjoy God and one another. So let's uh, take the pressure off a bit. Let's have grace for one another as we try this out, knowing that we don't have to get it right right now because uh, God uh, provides all the time we need uh, for everything that he asks, asks us to do as individuals and as a church. Now let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of time and the gift uh, of your son, in whom we are free to enjoy you for all time. We are free uh, to serve you for all time. And we are free to love you for all time. And that for all time, we will be doing this not only uh, as individuals, but as a family. Give us grace for one another as we learn to do this well. Give us love for one another, to let each other into our lives and to share our time so that we have more time for you and for our neighbours. In Jesus Christ, Amen.